This is the strategy inside everything. I'm Adam Pirino. All right, welcome back to another episode of the strategy inside everything. I am here with my old Twitter pal. I'm going to, this is a funny thing about knowing people from Twitter is you read their name, but you don't know how to actually pronounce their name. So I'm going to do my best here. Osk Veppling. How do I do? Hi. Hi, I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah, it's Osk, Osk Veppling. Yeah. Everybody, everybody thinks it's just a, like ask the bitch. They think it's really funny, but no, it's Osk. It's Osk Veppling. That's... I, I am positive for the first five or 10 years that I knew you, you know, and, and commenting in chat rooms and Twitter and Instagram that I thought it was a cheeky handle as well until I was like, mm. oh no, that's a real person. That's a real name. That's who they are. Yeah, no, I, everybody does. And, and it's, it's difficult to explain, but, oh, the best part is I actually ran a mailing list for a really long time. I still do, but uh, to get on this mailing list, you have to send me an email and introduce yourself so that you would be invi invited to it. And so this one guy, his, his name was Jake Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was an SCH at the end. And he, he was asking to get invited to the mailing list. And I just sent an email back going, you're having me on. Yeah. Right. Then you thought he was messing with you. Yeah. But it's because he was Danish and I was like, you can't have a Serbian last name if you're Danish, but of course you can. There's, there's lots of the workarounds for these types of things. Yeah. Now, in addition to Twitter, I know you from Adland, which you founded and have been the curator, the head curator of for how many years? How how long have you been operating that amazing site? I don't even want to think about it. It's 23 years. So, I mean, it, it started in 1996, and then it was just a meager little homepage where I was ranting about twin ads, basically, the, the ones that were exactly identical to each other. And I, I needed to talk about that with somebody. And then I decided that um, like Usenet, we were always sharing ideas and ads that we we liked and and stuff we wanted to see with each other. I thought it would be great to just make a website where everybody could do that. And so that's why Adland became. And so you could put up ads, not just because they're ads that you can watch, but also as a student. I always remember that it was really difficult to get into like the DNADs and all the other award shows, they were really expensive. You couldn't see them. You couldn't, you know, subscribe to Lurch's archive or something. And this is what you wanted to see because you were studying advertising. And it was only if you got a placement at some um, ad agency that you could sit there and go through all Lurch's archives in the middle of the night. And so I really wanted to be that, but for students, just to help them see more ads. And how long has it been the form that it's in now? I mean, I know it's recently moved. I've followed the saga of. Uh, of the move from your old host to the, to the new host, but, um, and the ridiculous takedown order, but mm. how long has it been in the form where you have, you know, a uh, writer, I've contributed a few articles over the years, you know, have the writing and all the, the database. Oh, that's, that's library. been since 2000. Yeah. So like, yeah, members could post an article these days. I approve them. Uh, but it used to be that it was actually fee for all. But that had to end at some point when people started posting stuff that had nothing to do with advertising and sometimes had nudity in it. <sighs> people ruin <laughs> everything, don't they? They do. <laughs> I mean, it, it was like the whole point was that you should be able to post your ads there. Sort of like, you know, you could come there and go, I made this campaign. And it was just working on the trust network of we are ad geeks and we would honestly post the things that we have done. Uh, but then, you know, somebody would run in there and ruin it or try to take credit for somebody else's campaign. That happened a lot too. And I just got tired of that. Yeah. And in addition to uh, running Adland, you've had a 
obviously a long career in advertising, which is why I wanted to talk to you today. Um, mm. You want to give people a sense of some of what you've done? Goodness. Um, yeah, I've worked in London. I've worked in Amsterdam. I've worked in Stockholm. I've worked in Copenhagen. So it's, you know, and, and everything from butter to cars. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I'm saying better because it's like one of the first campaigns I was doing was for butter. And I remember what hell I thought that brief was. Um, and yeah, even um, like um, laundry detergent, which was horrible back in the time. Uh, yeah, I can imagine a bad brief for butter or laundry detergent for sure. Yeah, it's <laughs> probably, yeah, probably so, written a bad one for detergent. Yeah, no, so you know, so all all the unglamorous things as well as some of the cool stuff like car stuff. Car stuff is usually cool, but not depending on where you are, because you're gonna have like fifteen thousand little car um, lot people trying to agree on one campaign. That's extremely difficult. Yes especially in smaller countries. Yeah, it depends on the, the part of the world. It depends on the brand. It depends on the dealer network and where, yeah. where you are in the in the pecking order and what you're creating. Yeah. There's there's probably two teams that get to create something really imaginative. Yeah, but I mean, most recently I work on apps these days because, well, basically for the, for the longest time while I was working in the big agency networks, they were like, oh, she knows how the computer works. Let's... Just put her on the like, the, you know, the e letter, or yeah. <laughs> make her build the website or something. Yeah, and and, turn, and they want to turn you into an operator as soon as they know you can operate. Yeah, and 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 I always found that incredibly insulting. So I was always sort of kicking and screaming my way into those areas. And then it's like, well, now I'm working on apps because yes, I do understand how these things work, but I need to think bigger, like you do with a campaign. I mean, you're not when you're making TV commercials. It's not just oh, this is a script. It's also this is the the main idea that goes for the entire campaign. I, I really don't like it when they silo people into you can only do direct mail or you can only do radio or you can only do this. That just that's a wrong way of thinking for me. Yeah, that's always a, a challenging place for creatives, especially in those big shops where there's a need for order. Mm -hmm. But people want to cross lines or they want to have ideas and show talk about how the idea translates and not just work in the assembly line and say, oh, I got the DM part of this. So I'm going to create the direct mailer version of this huge idea that came from television. Yeah. It's going to work. I mean, that's, that's why people, I think, grow faster in smaller shops because you do get to, to touch more areas of things and you will yeah. understand how a 360 campaign works because you get to actually do it. Yeah. I think that the way a brain develops, uh, inside a holding company shop versus a small shop is, is a lot different. Not that either person can't get to the same place eventually, but it's just the, mm. the pace of the development is a lot different. Mm. The shape of it. But what I was hoping to talk to you about today was um, since you've been doing this since the 90s, as have I, uh, we have come through some pretty crazy ups and downs in the from an industry standpoint. We saw the dot-com boom I remember yeah, and bust. every brief I had was a dot com. That was some new thing that was like, it's this, but on the internet and then the bust, as you said, and then it was like, Oh, am I still going to have a job? What happens now? Mm -hmm. And um, I was freelancing for a moment there too. And I was offered shares and everything. That was fun. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you dodged a bullet. Yeah. I was like, I'm not taking shares. I can't pay rent with shares. That's not happening. I even remember uh, a friend that I had was working at agency.com. 
And so that was the the worst of both worlds. But I remember she was at a party where they, I think they went public and it was like this huge party. And then it was like three months later, the dot-com bust started and the shares just were worthless. Yeah. It was the worst bad luck, bad time. Yeah. Um, but then after that, we we took a little while, we puffed it back up and we got back to the Great Recession was the next downturn. Mm-hmm. And I know we both uh, lived and worked through that. Um, oh yeah, I made sure to have babies through that. That was fun. Yeah, nailed it. I did too. I had, <laughs> I had a one and a three-year-old when that all started, when I realized like, oh, I couldn't have possibly timed this worse. Hmm. Um, buy, buy a place to live, have kids. Yeah. <laughs> did you do it's the bird. Yes. <laughs> I think we're we're under the same cursed moon here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, but now this this downturn that we're in now, or whatever the hell this is, um, it feels different for a variety of reasons. But there's a lot of similarities to both of those. Mm-hmm. Just the existential dread portion of it that I'm making similar. And so I've been talking to different people and asking their feelings and thoughts about um, some about forecasting and thinking about the future. But I wanted to talk to you about maybe thinking through those past downturns and comparing how this one feels compared to those or um, your perspective on them, since you've not only um, lived and worked in all three, but you've been cataloging the work. Uh, mm. along the way for all three. So I thought your perspective would be really interesting. Well, I think the work itself will definitely change because every time something like this happened, the style of advertising has changed quite a lot. Um, but I think we have to look further back to the Great Depression to see the thinking and how that's going to change. Because I brought up with you earlier about um, what was going on in the Great Depression where uh, some guy decided that he was going to put patterns on um, flower bags because yeah. he, yeah. yeah, he thought it was a great idea that um, the housewife is going to show, choose the, the the bag that has the best pattern on it because she's going to use the bag to make children's clothing and whatever on it. So he actually patented that in 1922. And I just think this kind of way of thinking is really smart because that birthed another industry. It's the flower bag pattern guys. So that makes, you know, the, the people who used to do um, just cloth for, for, to sell, they're now selling to the flower bag distributors. Right. And, and, and that way you could keep industries going. I mean, we have to think more in, in that kind of way, how, how you connect with other industries in order to make things work. And some of the great ideas during the depression, I mean, Leo Burnett had that idea that he would always have the apples in the reception, the red apples. And then it was like anybody who came. Tell me why, I don't know the story. Well, Leo Burnett opened in Chicago during the Great Depression. And so he had this advertising agency and he would like do advertising for any client who came in. And anybody who came in there would always be able to take the red apple from the reception. So, you know, no matter what they did, they would always go home with a red apple. You know, they'd get something. And these are like, these are really hard times where people might actually be hungry. Right. So a shop owner who hadn't had a snack for a while, at least, you know, he spends half an hour talking to this guy. Maybe we can do advertising with you. He gets a red apple. And people were saying to him, this is a ridiculous thing to do because you're going to be selling those red apples on the street in like six months. You can't start an advertising agency during the depression. It's right, just not going to happen. The worst downturn in history the, at that point. Yeah. Right? 
Exactly. But he attracted enough people to come in there. Maybe it was the apples, maybe it wasn't, but just by his attitude that he had so many clients from the teeniest, tiniest ones to the big ones that Leo Burnett still exists. Right. So I, I think it's, it's a shift in attitude that we really have to think about now. It was a massive uh, lead gen campaign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, if you, if you look at it now, there's a, there's a lot of agencies who are holding on. I mean, you're going to, you, Another thing that Leo Burnett said was that 75% of my inventory goes down the elevator every night. He knew it was the people at the advertising agency that was worth something. So if you look at what's happening today and with people being laid off left and right everywhere, and then there's agencies that are holding on to everybody just because they know that they can get some sort of bailout and they, they are going to drop these people later because the business is not going to be the same. Right. We're going to keep track of these agencies. We're going to know who did that. And I think a lot of people who are um, sort of hangers on in the business sort of blag their way in and don't really know what they're doing. They're not going to be here in six months. Well, let's, I remember during the, um, the Great Recession having a similar thought that you can't, you can't, you're not going to be able to bullshit your way through this you know, everybody was getting laid off in, in big chunks, big waves. And I remember thinking like, how, how are these people that I, that we know, or the people you just described, how are they still hanging on? And some of them, some of them did make it through and still survived, but I, this feels like a much steeper cliff. Mm. Um, and it, advertising has a weird, it's not even advertising. People have a weird short memory. Short term memory thing. Well, yeah. The next generation of people who want in don't don't care so much about the last generation that got booted out to make room for them always it's not that that you and i wouldn't remember what happened at agency a or b but the students that are graduating this year or next year they just want to work they're just passionate about advertising so sometimes they're forgiving maybe it's something about gen z that they do care and they do have that um, cultural conscience where they're paying attention and looking forward and saying, Nope, that's a bad shop. I'm not going there. I won't, I won't reward them with my, uh, time and attention, but I think we'll have to see. I, about I that. don't know. I mean, the, the youngest generation has been spending so long now, uh, claiming to have fire for causes that I don't even know so many causes recently that every time you look at an ad, it's like it's cramming in all these different causes and, and you're wondering what the ad is about eventually, Yeah. <laughs> but, but all of that is going to disappear. So the question is if that young generation are still going to be like, well, you know, we still care more about the causes than anything else. I mean, will they really do that when there's only five jobs left and 27 looking for them? That's the, that's the question. I mean, any cause-based, uh, anything I've researched about it or read about it is that all things being equal, they prefer the cause, they prefer sustainability, they prefer X, Y, and Z. This doesn't, doesn't just apply to the young generation. But if it's $10 more, it's like, well, $10 less, I can get something that, you know, spits carbon into the air like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> if I save that 10 bucks. Yeah, you know? Exactly. No, but I mean, I remember in the 90s, it was like such a big deal that everything had to be recycled. And, you know, every single item that you ever used from your 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 books to your paper to your hairspray, whatever, always had to like have to do with something with nature and it yes. had to cost more. 
And I was traveling around the world and I saw that this happened in America and this happened in the UK and this happened in Sweden. But at the same time, it was like, it's always more. And right. I, I can't spend this money. And some, something's got to give. Yeah. Right. I want, I want both. I want it to be affordable because I would like to continue eating and also do the thing I need, wear clothes, for example, or have hairspray. Hmm. Um, I think I, it's actually a good thing now because it's like I've, I've been really fed up with all these ads where, that are more or less all about the causes instead of the product. And you can, you can see the, the agencies that do it and the clients that do it by looking at their COVID ads because they're all like, piano we're feeling like this bad. We're all at home <laughs> together. We're all in this together. Everybody's doing the same ad. And, and it's, and it's annoying, but it's also at the, the other side of it, we're, we're going to have to be doing things that are different. We're going to have to be thinking different. And I'm really looking forward to that because yes. it's just all the same at this point. I'm not that interested in knowing that a soda company is standing with me. No, nobody I, cares. I don't care. There's a, there's an agency called Lucky in Atlanta and they have this bank regionals. Uh, I can't remember the name of the bank regionals, something or other. And um, what they did immediately was that they donated from regionals bank, all of their media buy to regional like food banks. Oh, that's, that's a real thing. They, that's they, a real they, thing. They, exactly. They an actual act to help people. Yes. So that's a real thing. And, and I think that's the kind of thing that is going to make people notice especially locally, because now everything is going to be hyper-local again. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody's traveled the world forever and we were having like, you know, Christmas in Thailand and going to Fiji for our little uh, getaways and whatnot. And it's like... <laughs> you were. I, I did not do any of these things, but it sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I wasn't. I wasn't. But the, the Instagram influencers were. And, and now they're sitting there boohooing over their Instagrams with their giant lips going, I can't go anywhere. It's like, yeah, too bad. Nobody else can either. I was, you know, it's funny. I just walked in this room from, from the other room where my wife was lamenting that there's no celebrity news. She's like, she was looking on, um, she was flipping through the channels and she's like, Entertainment Tonight has nothing to talk about. And I'm like, do you think some of the celebrities are pretty worried that they won't be famous when this is all over because where they're found out that they, you know, the, the us weekly, they're just like us section. It's like, mm -hmm. that's really the truth. And most, most celebrities, unless you're in that upper stratosphere of movie stars, they really are just people. They don't deserve any special treatment or any special um, awe. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating how much, like how, how quickly Hollywood dropped into nothing because LA suddenly shut down and you're not even allowed to go out on your classic path walks, which is when you walk in slow motion in front of a guy, a bunch of guys in bushes with cameras. <laughs> Cause I've seen path walks. They literally do that. Yeah. And they're trying to fuel the machine. They're trying to fill yeah. content about And they're this, pretending this, to walk a dog right. and they're doing this thing. Like, don't take a picture of me. It's insane. It, it is. Insane. And then they, they share a little bit of the profit from that. So now they're, nobody's left outside. I mean, it, that's not an essential business, so they can't go out and do that. I wonder how soon it'll be before I don't even recognize some of the quote unquote celebrities. You know, there's some, there's some that are, that I, you know, movie stars that I would recognize, but there's, there was already a number of people that are famous for being on reality shows and things that I just could never, I hadn't connected with. And I wonder yeah. after three months off, how many will just fade away. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I have like, one of the kids is a teenage girl. And so she's going through her Instagrams and she's getting upset with how much that is focused on 
what you look like. And so she just decided to delete it. A couple of weeks later, I come into her room and she's reading every book in the house. So it's like, that's, you know, that's a good development. (laughs) That's nice. nice. That's a nice turn of events, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, it's great. And it's like, that's exactly what we should do. I feel that some of these apps are literally programming our children and it's not something that we should be encouraging. I mean, it's not a coincidence that Mark Zuckerberg doesn't let his kids do it. Yeah, that should tell you everything you need to know, I think. Theoretically. 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 But yeah, so the Instagram algorithm is constantly following you. And and if you look at the advertising on this too, I have several accounts just for the fun of it. And I've created these accounts to be different people. And I see if the advertising is directed to the different people. It has no clue what my different people are. Oh, is that true? (laughs) Yeah, because like the one where I'm normal, just me, I'm still getting like ads directed to men. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's, that's not for me. That's, you know, and then sometimes it will be directed to men, but it would be like something that I would actually like, like, here's a scotch subscription. It's like, yeah, I would like that. But, but, but you could so, tell the ad wasn't written for you. Yeah, it was written for a dude. So I'm like, yeah, here we like, here we are with all this powerful stuff at our, to our advantage, supposedly, where we were supposed to be able to target perfectly and we can't target. I mean, that's, that's what I was looking forward to when it came to internet advertising, that we would be able to actually reach the actual target market. I would take that trade off. I still get ads in Spanish language on Twitter. You which, do? Yeah, which I've been using since 2008, I think. I mean, like, I have only spoken English on that. <laughs> There's no, wow, I can't you should, imagine that preference. You should go and check your language things because I used to get... Um, as in Tagalog for some reason. And it turned out it's because of people I follow and that I like stuff that they write in that language. It could be. I do. I'm pretty, I'm pretty fair with the follow back. So I could, I'm sure that there's, I know I see stuff in Spanish, but I don't write in Spanish. I would think that would be the, the key yeah. indicator, but who the hell knows? So back to the wonderful world of ads um, and the ad industry. Do you, did you, when you were going through the great recession, did you think much about, did you compare it much to the dot-com bust having been through both of those? No, a lot of other people I knew did, but I didn't because I thought it was quite different. The dot-com bust was like um, letting out out of a balloon that really shouldn't have gotten that big in the first place. Right. But the great recession was um, basically it hit the U S more than it hit um, Sweden, for example. Uh, it hit other countries in Europe pretty hard as well. And I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, it, the great recession it, you didn't think was that bad. Or oh, you mean was... the thirties? No, no, I no, thought, no. I thought you meant like when, when the, the bank market went out in the U S yeah, yeah. I meant 2011 versus versus 99, 2000. Yeah, no, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. It didn't hit uh, certain areas of Europe in the same way that it hit the U S where it was absolutely disaster. And at the same time, I mean, in, in, in Sweden, for example, we had a bank recession in 94, 95. And that's right when I had taken student loans. So the Swedish corona went like this drama has been around all the time. It's like every 10 years, I'm, I'm supposed to get used to it. So like in 94, I borrowed money to go to school in New York. And back then, the Swedish corona to a dollar was about five. And... Um, I think the semester at Parsons was about $5,000 and I got to borrow like a whole bunch of Corona. So 
it was not only I would pay for my semester, I would be able to pay for my apartment. Everything was great on this loan. And then by the next semester, the Swedish krona was 13 to a dollar. And uh, then they raised the price of the semester at Parsons. So it was $7,800. And like half of everybody who studied with me, they had to go home. And once you go home, uh, interrupting your studies, you're never able to borrow money again for that topic. So, you know, they were starting as budding, you know, designers or illustrators or anything that they started as they could never continue. So they would have to quit their studies and just go into another field. Were you able to hang on? Yeah, I worked at Starbucks. Yeah, but you, so, did, you found a way to make it work. So you could yeah, stay. yeah, exactly. That's amazing. That's incredible. So it's like there's always there's always some drama. You're you're just going to have to be able to roll with the punches. And were you in the states for the Great Recession? Uh, no, I wasn't. I was in Malmo. I was in Sweden. Okay, and it didn't hit as hard there. No, it didn't. I mean, I had just bought a place and everything, but yeah. So do you think based on what you know, um, is this, this, how is this differently shaped than than the last downturn? Do you think? I think this is actually going to uh, change a lot of things because of, um, this has impacted every single class. It's, it's not just, you know, the working class, it's impacted everybody on higher levels, rich people, they watched all their stocks drop. And I think people are, you know, personally affected mm-hmm. in a different way. So I think they're, they're, they're going to, there's a lot of things that people are going to reconsider now. It's like, if they're going to place a factory to make something somewhere and they're not going to place it in a far off land, I think people are going to concentrate more on locally produced things in every way, shape and form, not just, you know, items and food, because now we realize, wow, it'd be great if we could grow food in our back garden now that we can't leave the house to go to the grocery store. I mean, it's just really making people think about this. Yeah, or I don't want to have to stop making cars so that I can make ventilators. Right. So uh, I, I think people are just going to reconsider all of this uh, and re-strategize. Yeah, I've also been thinking a lot about maker culture and all the maker labs and, and workshops that have all of a sudden been cranking out. PPE and all kinds of different tools and and things that have been needed. And for a long, I remember, I don't remember, I mean, five or six years ago, 3D printers started getting really cheap and everybody was saying they were going to get one. And those maker studios started getting popular, but never quite got over the hump of Mm -hmm. people really engaging in them and and, uh, figuring out how they could grow and become culturally important as Wired wanted you to think they were. But this this is the moment where I say, oh, look at the values right there. Very quickly, there's a market need and they're producing things at breakneck speed that industry, you know, industry that is protected by the government couldn't figure out how to do. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. No, it's, so- a, it's, a, it's definitely a pivotal moment for them, but it's also for, for forgotten skills. Like, Anything that you, we were able to do 20 years ago can be brought back. I mean, it's like even simple stuff like growing your own food. Yeah. We could have done that on our balcony at any point. Yeah, you just didn't, you didn't have take the time to do it. Yeah, exactly. Not that we didn't have the time. We just didn't take the time. Yeah, I think, yeah, people are going to like reconsider time a lot too. There's a 
creative director friend of mine, or like not, he's not a creative director. He's an ECD at this point, but he hasn't spent this much time with his family before in a long time. And he suddenly realizes that, wow, I should, this is, this is a good thing. And I really enjoy this and I should spend more time with my family. And maybe that will change how people have always considered advertising. It's always like, Oh, the one who's there the latest, he's the most ambitious, which isn't true. I mean, I go home and work. I don't have to sit in the office to be the most ambitious one there. And, and the, the next step of that thought process too, is I just go home. You know, it's six o'clock. I'm done for the day. My brain is done. I can't think of any more ideas or I finished what I needed to do. And I'm just going to go home and be with my family. I mean, I, I, I think about that a lot. Yeah. You know, you don't have to keep that, that crank turning all the time. Although yeah. it's hard I to mean, get done. people have always been complaining, Oh, we don't have enough women in advertising that has to be because you can't take time off and actually be with your kids if you have them and all that stuff. And I don't think that's the reason. I mean, it's true, though, that a lot of women in advertising, they, they, they sort of swerve off and become freelance designers instead of like becoming CCOs. But I think that's because women in advertising are usually on the design side, and that's not an uncommon route. Whereas it's copywriters that climb up to the CCO levels. And you should look more at the, like what area you're in, first of all. But second of all, it's like there's a lot of people that I know in advertising who have kids at home who are dudes who are like, yeah, I'm going to go freelance because I don't like the fact that I'm not spending enough time with my kids. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to look at it, we should look at it more of like, why don't we have like more flexible hours for people who have families? Like why, why are we always acting like we're 20 year olds and can work 24 hours a day? (laughs) I miss, I both miss those days and do not miss those days of, of having that drive. So sometimes it, three o'clock. I'm like, well, that's the end of this. My brain is no like I even used to say when I was younger, it's like your bad planning does not make my emergency. Like I am supposed to be able to go home and have dinner. Yeah. Yes. That that's what most of my twenties were, were figuring out how to solve a problem overnight. That was, yeah. And it's like, I'm not going to figure out that problem. I have concert tickets. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> so like, yeah. I'm, yeah, and now you can afford to have concert tickets. At, yeah, know, exactly. Once you're, once you're out of your early 20s. Yeah, but at the same time, in your early 20s, I mean, everybody thought that the only way to get ahead was to always be at work. And I was like, no, I'm getting these concert tickets and I'm going. And then it's like, I come back to work and I'm like, I have this great idea. And I saw this musician the other night. Because you will only get inspired if you actually have a life. Yes. If you don't have a life, you can't do anything. No, if you're 100% insulated in your de- at your desk, nothing, yeah. great, nothing great really happens. You can no. fill out the, the form, but yeah. you're not filling it out in an interesting way. No, exactly. So if you get stuck there, you're just going to fill out the form the same exact way all the time. Yeah, I've been wondering since people have had, you know, have been isolated and have had time to, to kind of be idle whether whether you're actively idle or whether you're pursuing some kind of a hobby or whether you're just able to be around your family, how much that will change people's actions and decision-making going forward. Because it's almost trite at this point to say things would change when we come out of this. But I don't know for sure how long people's memory is. I guess it could depend on how long we're isolated. I think it depends on what generation people are too, because younger generations seem to not remember anything that happened before 2000, which is fascinating to me. Yeah. Well, that's the, <laughs> they don't remember it or they weren't alive. Yeah. They weren't alive. So therefore nothing existed. <laughs> and it's just like, really? 
Uh, I'm the same way about the, the, the generation immediately before I was born. I don't have any. Um, any inkling of what actually happened? No, I don't understand it. There was like the Beatles and then a blank spot. And then I was born. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm sort of, uh, I'm blessed in a way that my, like I'm from a family where everybody's from a different generation. So my brother's an actual boomer, which I think is hilarious. Cause when everybody started saying, okay, boomer, it's like, ha now I got something <laughs> I can tell him. Cause we're still doing that thing where we tease each other. So it's just, it's just strange. Cause he lived through an era that I didn't see. Yes, exactly. And, and yeah, so for him, it was like, yeah, when he turned 18, they gave him an apartment and a car, you know, <laughs> when yeah. I turned 18, nothing like that happened. Was I was it, paying my way through college, completely different story. It was just a different world. Yeah. And, and it's just, it could be five years, but 10 years is a big deal, but it's still even five years makes a huge difference when you're young. Yeah. Do you think, have you already noticed changes in the way you're working or do you think you'll be? No, I've been working from home since forever. So the, the only thing is that I'm working more for some yeah. reason, because it's always like, you don't know if anybody's going to be able to pay you at this point. So you take on more work. Ugh, just to fill the pipeline. and Yeah, just to make sure. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, uh, I, I see a lot of opportunities happen. I, I see a lot of ideas that I'm getting and I'm like contacting people going, this is great. We should absolutely, you know, make use of this time because I, I think a lot of things can change. And I have a really positive like idea that the future is actually going to be better. And a lot of people are like being a really down about it and, and sad, but I'm like, we can localize, we can change things. And I think that if we actually do it the right way, there's, there's going to be massive differences. And, and I think the, like, what's the response that you get to that? Are people, do they buy it when you, when you present it to them or are they kind of, well, like, small companies that are local are just jumping on it. They're like, yeah, the, the, this is the only thing we can do. I mean, it's like, if you take like really local burger joints in, uh, Burbank, for example, they started up, uh, what do you call it? In when you have these roller skater servers, because nobody's allowed to go into the burger joints anymore. Oh, they yeah. brought back the roller There's skater the car hops. Yeah. Yeah. Car hops. They brought them back. They just like put them up in uniforms with masks and gloves. And now they roller skate out and serve people. And what? so it's like a, yeah, it's a throwback to the fifties because these places have been around since then. So they're bringing it back and just making, this is how we serve you now. And, and people, so that becomes a thing. People probably love it. Yeah, of course. So now they're getting more people coming there to get their burgers on the drive-thru. Oh, because, that's so funny. Yeah, because you could have gone anywhere. You could have gone to one of these modern burger places, but they're going to the old school ones because the old school can bring back the old school. Do you think there's a will be a um, favoritism for or a preference for experiences? Because what, what you're describing to me sounds like more experiential and interesting than the the modern experience of of what we've come to know as the fast casual burger that stand in a line put in yeah. your order get whatever the cool yeah, it's not going to be the touch the same computer screen that everybody else touches you know it, we're gonna drop all that for a moment i feel like uh i keep coming back to the world local i know but uh, it's i feel everything that's historical and local is coming back because if we're not going to be able to travel for a moment, everything that we haven't seen that's actually close by is going to be our little vacation spot, our little day trip to. 
Like if we before went to Fiji or Thailand or whatever, now we're not going to do that for a moment. We're going to actually seek out what was really cool near us. Mm-hmm. So if you're in Arizona, where could you drive? You could go see the Grand Canyon soon. It was have you done that yet? I, we have. We have done it. But I haven't taken my kids yet. It was on our list, actually, but we didn't get to do it because of this. So maybe we'll go. Yeah. See, that's a, that's a huge thing. I haven't seen the Grand Canyon. I've seen it. I flew by once, which was pretty impressive still. But I should do the thing where I actually look at it. It's amazing. You should do it. Yeah. All right. When this is all over, we're going to the Grand Canyon. We're doing it. Yeah. All right. Cool. Two family trip. We're going. <laughs> but that's the thing. Yeah. Camping. Those like those normal like 1970s kind of things. I yes. mean, 1970s was also a recession. There were gas lines in the United States. Yep. And in Sweden at the time, there was always people saying that um, we have to turn off the lights in like in the city, in the malls and stuff. So you wouldn't have lights on in the window shops. Like, so you, you cause you don't want to waste electricity when oh, there's yeah. a gas shortage. Right. So I lived through that too. It's just every 10 years, something's going to happen. It's just a cycle. It's a cycle. It's a thing. It's like, you know, Mother Earth is a woman. It's a cycle. <laughs> I'm not touching that. <laughs> that. That's why it took me a while to say it. You too. can barely get it out. I know. <laughs> All right. Well, this is fantastic. Thank you very much for making time to chat with me. I appreciate it. I appreciate this too. Thanks for having me on. Where can people find you online besides um, adland.tv? Well, it's always on adland.tv, but they can also find me online and on, well, adland on Twitter. And then uh, I have a podcast, actually. I know. Tell me about it. It's pretty fun. The only thing I do is that I, I just call up somebody that it says has something to do with something that's actually happening right now. And it was thanks to this woman um, named Billian Wilson. And she, she was talking about um, Harry and Meghan, the royals. And I decided to gossip about them. So it's always like some sort of topic that is current that we talk about. Is it always like extremely day of current events or is it just no, no, no. It's, top it's of just, mind for you? It's just top of mind and, and like how advertising has to do with it kind of thing. It could what's, be anything. What's the name of the podcast? At them podcast. podcast. It's pretty simple. <laughs> Where can people find it? At, at land.tv. And on iTunes and on Spotify. There you go. There you go. You got to tell people. They will not find it unless you tell them exactly what button to push. I know. That's so weird. I will definitely link to it in the notes on this show for sure. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much for making time. Good to chat with you again. Good to chat with you too. Cheers. I'll see you in the feed. All right. So long. Wait, don't stop listening. The show's not over. If you liked what you just heard or you've liked any of the episodes of Strategy Inside Everything, do me a favor. I really appreciate it. Leave a review wherever you listen to the show, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever. Please leave us a rating and a review. Please, if you can, share this episode or another episode with a friend. Let them know what you liked about it. Uh, That helps us quite a bit. If you have ideas for guests, for topics, follow up on episodes you've heard, you can tweet at us at APierno, that's me, or at strategy underscore inside, that's the show. Either way, I promise I will respond to you and get back to you right away. 
And listen, running this show is a labor of love. I really do it just because I enjoy the conversations, but it does cost money. So web hosting costs money. Microphones cost money. My kids' haircuts cost money. If you wouldn't mind, look at our Patreon. It's Patreon, uh, Adam Pirano there, and you can help us out quite a bit. For more information about all the guests we've had, anything you want to know about the podcast, uh, my two books, Underthink It and Specific, or ways to engage with me as a strategy consultant or as a speaker at your next event, please go to adampirano.com and you'll find all the information you want. And if you can't, just send me a note. Thanks a lot.